Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, a former president and CEO of the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers says the agriculture industry has been hurt by international activists and protest organizations. Tim McMillan, who was also a Saskatchewan cabinet minister in Brad Wall's government about 10 years ago, is concerned these same groups are more than ever before turning their attention to the farming community. Farmland values continue to trend higher in 2022 as demand for farmland remains high and available supply is low. Higher interest rates and farm input prices were offset by strong cash receipts, mitigating profitability pressures on demand for farmland. Farm Credit Canada says roughly 40% of Canadian farmland area is rented, as renting land is a business approach that offers financial flexibility because the financial cost of renting is often lower than buying. FCC Chief Economist J.P. Gervais says studies show that cash farmland rental rates are reflecting a slight increase from drought-stricken 2021, but still remain lower than rates in 2020. After the break, Tim McMillan. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Tim McMillan has served as a president and CEO of the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers. So, Tim, you've expressed concern about how the agriculture industry is being impacted by international activists and protest organizations. So what has happened that has caused you to be concerned? In the late 80s and through the 90s and early 2000s, forestry was the target of the activist movement. It was coming of age, it was getting a lot of funding out of the U.S., and the tactics that were used against forestry were then, in the 2000s, leveraged into oil and gas, and they found a new target, a new host. For the last decade and a half, we have really been challenged to get new infrastructure built, be it liquefied natural gas facilities or pipelines, and it has been, you know, very public, very vocal, But we're 15 years in, and we're already seeing signs that they're looking for the next industry to take on. What if they hit us next? I think they already are. I think we may be a step behind that we see them as one-offs. The limitations on fertilizer use, the limitations on using modern farming technologies or genetically modified products, like these are all things that we're seeing as one-offs, but it's an orchestrated campaign by the very same groups that took on forestry, that took on oil and gas, are now in Ottawa every day working to remove some of those tools and technologies. So would you say the general public is familiar with uh, some of the players involved? When they shifted from forestry to oil and gas, they put together a plan called the Tar Sands Campaign, which is on many of their websites to this day. I think they're quite proud of it because They executed it exceptionally well. But in that plan, they talk about their objectives, their tactics. They talk about who their funders are. They talk about which activist organizations we're going to lead. Many of them were American, uh, Greenpeace, World Wildlife Fund, uh, Sierra Club. Many of them were Canadian. Equiterre, Pembina Institute, uh, Ecojustice, Stand.org. The same is true when you look at the Green Budget Coalition today. Many of those groups are part of it, and they are saying very inflammatory things about agriculture. So it's already happening. We just need to know that that playbook is being repeated. So then these groups are actively lobbying the federal government now? 
It's hiding in plain sight that uh, there's a group called the Green Budget Coalition, which has many of those groups that I just named. Uh, Another one is Farmers for Climate Action, which purports to represent farmers. But if you read through the material that they're putting in front of the federal government and when they attend committees, it is not representing modern agriculture. It's not in the best interest of Saskatchewan people or Saskatchewan farmers. And like I say, it's hiding in plain sight and they're submitting to every government process they possibly can. So we know that fertilizer certainly has been getting a lot of attention lately. Are there any other areas or sectors of note? sterilization of land. Uh, We see the limitations on modern technologies, uh, chemicals that are used every day in in the farming process. We're seeing the carbon issues. Farmers often think that they are stewards of the environment and actually have a positive story to tell about climate sequestration, about carbon sequestration. I can tell you these groups in Ottawa think that agriculture isn't doing its fair share and that there needs to be a a heavy hand to make farmers pay or comply with very restrictive carbon rules. Now, we've heard a lot about farmers in Europe that are being affected. So do you see European Union agricultural standards becoming a future blueprint for our country? I'm not an expert on the ag policies of the European Union. I can tell you, though, that uh, the European Union put in extremely regressive policies around energy and energy development, which ultimately left them extremely vulnerable to Russia. And they called it the energy transition, where they built more wind and solar, but they really just shut down their own domestic production of their baseload hydrocarbons and uh, exported that to Russia. And that was fine until Russia said no more and invaded the Ukraine. Now the European Union is burning more coal than they have in decades. They're restarting coal-fired power plants. Uh, They've thrown their environmental objectives out the window because people will freeze in the dark if they get a cold snap. So that's a cautionary tale if, in fact, they are looking at mirroring some of these European policies on the ag side because it certainly didn't work with energy. So even with all these outside pressures, uh, time and time again, we continue to see that uh, the agriculture community is still viewed quite favorably by the public. We are some of the best producers in the world. The farm families is a great image, but the activists will find the weakest point in the supply chain. They will go after the fertilizer or the chemical uh, or the railroads. They'll limit your ability to get the products to market. They're not going to go after where we're strongest. They're going to find where we're weakest. And they're already chipping away, and these policies are coming at us one at a time. It's going to keep coming. And we need to identify what's the bigger issue and how do we address it as opposed to just doing it as one-offs. This isn't easy. We all like to tell our story because it's a very positive story, and we don't want to recognize that there may be people out there saying things about us that aren't true. But if they are, and if that is orchestrated, it means that you need to be proactive and, and limit their ability to say damaging things about us that aren't true. Tim McMillan was a Saskatchewan cabinet minister in Brad Wall's government about 10 years ago and was later president and CEO of the Canadian Association of Petroleum Production. After the break, J.P. Gervais with Farm Credit Canada shares the latest stats on the cost of renting farmland. 
Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Farm Credit Canada has recently released the results of farmland rental rates. J.P. Gervais is the FCC chief economist. And J.P., it appears that renting is still a very popular option for farmers. Well, a couple of things we wanted to look at. So we've been doing this for a number of years now, looking at how or what's the, the pattern in farmland rental rates relative to the patterns in farmland values. So about a month ago, we released our 2022 farmland values report. We reported significant increases in land values basically across the country, but for sure in the prairies as well. And now the follow-up to this was, well, what about rental rates? Because one thing is that land values do have an impact on land rental rates, but there are tons of other things as well that have an impact on rental rates, right? The you know, gross revenues that you get off the land, your input costs, also the willingness or the, 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 the target, the financial targets of the landlord when it comes to renting or leasing its land, his or her land, because interest rates matter in that case, right? So there are tons of factors we wanted to first look at. What about rental rates when it comes to, you know, relative to land values? And what we've noticed is that rental rates when it comes to this next season, 23 crop, well, those land rental rates actually went up, but at a slightly lower pace than what we've recorded when it comes to land values, right? So, and that makes sense as well. As I said, the, you know, land values do have an impact on land rental rates because if land values go up, I mean, those landowners would probably like to have a little bit more of a return on, on, on the capital that they possess. Uh, but that's what we've noticed is that rent, land rental rates actually did not go up as much as land values. So that's one thing. And then the second thing is, what about land rental rates relative to farm revenues? Because that speaks to the ability of the farm operator to actually make a profit by renting land, farming it, and selling its production, right? So, and, and when it comes to um, land rental rates relative to gross revenues, so not accounting for farm expenses, but when it comes to land rental rates relative to gross revenues, Again, land rental rates did go up, but not as much as gross revenues in 2022. So that is a good sign. The big caveat, though, and and this is where it makes sense as well, the reason why land rental rates did not go up as fast as gross revenues in 2022 is because of farm input costs. Those input costs climbed quite a bit. In fact, between 2020 and 2022, if you compare production costs for the 20 crop relative to production costs for the 22 crop, well, you're talking about an increase in production cost of 50%. So really, at the, at the end of the day, we've seen the land rental rates go up, not as much as land values, not as much as gross revenues. And I do think that the underlying reason behind that is that farm input costs climb significantly. And landowners have to respect the ability of farm operators to pay for, for, that, for that land that they're renting. Now, Saskatchewan rental rates were the lowest in the three prairie provinces in a ratio with crop revenue. But when it comes to the ratio to the price of land, rental rates are really second only to Prince Edward Island for the highest in Canada. So, so this is interesting, right? Because, you know, there are, again, tons of factors that matter. Land values will be different in Saskatchewan relative to Alberta, for example, on average. And again, I'm talking about an average. On average, land values will be a little bit lower in Saskatchewan than they are in Alberta. And as such, you know, when you look at the rental rates in Saskatchewan relative to land values, it's going to be slightly a little bit maybe above, or certainly in terms of gross revenues. What we're saying is that land rental rates in Saskatchewan are a little bit higher relative to gross revenues than they are in Alberta. But again, just there are tons of factors that explain what we're seeing in the farmland market. 
when it comes to the rental market. And part of what we need to monitor going forward is the ability to farm the land for a profit. And that ability to farm the land for a profit based off land values, gross revenues, input costs, as well as interest rates. Because if you put yourself from the perspective of landowners, if interest rates go up, perhaps they're going to pass on some of those expectations of a higher return through higher rental rates. And so I do expect that land rental rates will continue to climb. But so far in 2023, I do think that they have gone up, but as well respect a little bit the ability of of farm operators to pay for that land. JP, what are your expectations going forward? Well, I think going forward, I do think that land rental rates will go up, especially if the demand for commodities remain strong, but we are in an environment where we have a little bit of weakness when it comes to commodity prices. And I do think that's the number one thing to, to monitor, right? It's all about profitability. And if you look at a profitability ratio, for example, consider a standard wheat canola rotation relative to fertilizer prices. What we're seeing is that yes, fertilizer prices have come down, but so have commodity prices if you look at wheat and canola. And in terms of affordability of fertilizer, well, that affordability ratio is perhaps you know equal to what it was you know last year. And going forward, it's not projected to improve significantly, perhaps slightly, but not significantly. So that speaks to yes, input costs may be coming down a little bit, commodity prices have come down, and so again, it's just a matter of ability to profit and farm the land for profit that really matters. And so that's what farm operators and farm owners need to be looking at in terms of, you know, establishing what they're willing to pay for renting land. That was Farm Credit Canada Chief Economist J.P. Gervais. Here are the top agriculture stories for the week of April 17, 2023. Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada and Grain Commission staff are Among the 155,000 federal employees that went on strike, Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada says the strike will disrupt delivery of federal programs and services, including Agri-Invest, Agri-Stability, and programs under the new Sustainable Canadian Agricultural Partnership. 65% of Canadian Grain Commission employees, including staff who look after outward inspection on grain shipments, are on strike. The union members make up approximately a third of the federal public service. The Port of Thunder Bay will be a more expensive shipping option than last year. The first 21,000 tons of wheat of the new shipping season were moved through the Great Lakes Port. Michael Wilton with Mercantile Consulting Ventures said this time last year, it was three U.S. dollars per ton cheaper to ship through the Great Lakes to the eastern Mediterranean. A cross-country study shows that cow-calf operations with smaller cows tend to be more profitable. The numbers come from the Canadian Cost of Production Network, which benchmarks the activities of 220 cow-calf producers across the country. The network crunches numbers from large, mid-sized and smaller cow-calf producers. Brenna Grant with Canfax said smaller producers are found in the most efficient category. The closure of Quebec pork processing plant will have a significant impact on Canadian production. Canadian Pork Council Chair Rennie Roy said Olimel's announcement of the plant closure was due to the pandemic, ongoing labour shortage issues, inflationary pressures and challenges with accessing foreign markets. He said the closure will impact Quebec, Atlantic Canada and other parts of the country. The pork sector is a $7 billion industry in Canada with almost $5 billion in exports. 
A former Swift Current Saskatchewan Agriculture Canada scientist won't be going to trial on fraud and trust charges after all. 67-year-old Yanti Gan was charged in November 2019 after a 21-month investigation by RCMP. It was alleged he was working for a Chinese university at the same time he held a position with the federal government. The trial was slated to start May 1st, but a King's Bench judge ruled earlier this year that the matter was taking too long. The established timelines to get matters to trial for King's Bench is 30 months. The Federal Court of Canada has dismissed an application for a judicial review of decisions made regarding potato wart. The Prince Edward Island Potato Board challenged the decisions by the Canadian Food Inspection Agency and the Federal Agriculture Minister after the fungal disease was found on two separate farms in the fall of 2021. The U.S. government advised it wouldn't accept seed potatoes from the province, and Ottawa issued a ministerial order to restrict the movement of potatoes domestically and internationally. The Potato Board said the two farms were already part of the long-term management plan for Potato Wart. CNH Industrial said it sold off its business activities in Russia for roughly $60 million. This follows the company's announcement in March of 2022 that it was suspending supplies to this market. Up until March 22, CNH operated a corporate office in the Moscow region where it managed the import and distribution of its products in Russia, regional business activities and commercial financing. This included manufacturing sites for agricultural equipment and implements and construction equipment and a parts depot. The sites employed approximately 200 employees. For the fiscal year ending 2021, the last full year of operations, the Russian operations generated revenue of approximately $380 million. And Canadian chicken will be the official protein of Skate Canada. Chicken Farmers of Canada Chair Tim Klopmaker says the partnership with Skate Canada is a good one as the two groups share a vision for the promotion of healthy and active lifestyles. Chicken Farmers of Canada represents the country's 2,800 chicken farmers, while Skate Canada is the largest learn-to-skate teaching organization in the country. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts, tell your friends, and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.